Hi, I'm Evan Martin, and today I'm being joined by my co-host, Daniel B. Keeney. Hey, Daniel, how's the move going? Hey, Evan. Uh, it's a work in progress. My whole downstairs has about six furniture boxes that need to be uh, constructed, so my work's cut out for me. Uh, how's there, how are you doing today? Um, it's going to be a hot day here. I think we're in the 90s the rest of the week in Portland, so... Um, little tired, so if anybody hears my voice crack or I go really silent, um, it was an early morning. <laughs> All right, well, um, we are on a two-part episode. Episode three, uh, which just came out, um, is called The Smackdown, and this is the continuation of The Smackdown. So I think we can go ahead and jump right into our Hot topic segment um, and do some introductions. But to give everybody kind of an outline, in this episode, we won't be talking about industry hot trends. We'll be jumping right into our debate um, area. And then we also will be answering listener questions in this episode, which we did not have time to do in episode three. So um, we do recommend for this episode that you pre-listen to episode three as it is a continuation. All right, Daniel, who's joining us today? All right, so Mark Wilson is joining us, strategic Senior Strategic Advisor that specializes in revenue cycle management and optimization. Thanks for being here, Mark. And then he is being joined by Gretchen Case, Managing Partner and Founder for the Wilshire Group. Thanks for joining us. Hey, welcome Thanks back, guys. Back. All right, so the, should we jump right into our continuation of where we left off? Um, we're glad to have you both back for the SmackDown Part 2. Um, Daniel, for listeners uh, who might have missed last episode, can you give us a quick recap? Absolutely. So we ended our last episode with Mark and Gretchen had a tied score in the debate over how operations and IT's impression, um, how easy and hard it is for them to work together or when things don't match in the initial request. And so we left off with Gretchen and Mark with some homework to come back and talk about how they have continued to partner overcome this industry challenge. So hopefully you all have some ideas and just added conversation and debate for today. Awesome. Thank you. I thought we were going to get to fight more. Well, you we will do this episode. We will not on the podcast. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I was I was coming in guns a blazing. Um, I think Mark and I, you know, we talked a little bit about this after the first episode that we did and then sort of wanted to come up with some concrete ideas and suggestions that we've either employed ourselves or seen work elsewhere um, to try to have tangible actions that could be taken by, by colleagues out there. And again, we were trying to give examples of uh, the last time, just a little bit around, you know, he said, she said, I hear one thing, but you mean another. We speak different languages, Tower of Babel, nobody exactly knows. And the overwhelming pressures that exist today with regard to cost containment, budgeting, budgeting of time, budgeting of projects, um, and, and, and sometimes from an ops perspective, we're in there waiting. And our, our perspective is we're waiting and waiting and waiting on IT to do the things that we need to do to do the business that we're in, right? That's what we feel like. Mark, I don't know, what do you, what does it sort of feel like on your side? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just on the IT side, it's more of how do we keep all the plates spinning as well? Um, you know, there definitely is the staffing shortage on the IT side as well. Um, and operations has, you know, a lot of things that they request to, as you said, first off, keep, keep the lights on, keep the business running. Um, and then make the any updates needed to business processes. Uh, but then there's the whole kind of other realm that operations doesn't really see of IT of just, you know, them keeping the lights on as well, like loading in those quarterly files, you know, for your CCIs and LCDs, um, you know, preparing testing for upgrades, uh, you know, which is huge, especially with Epic over the last few years moving to that quarterly cycle, um, it's really taking a lot of time on the IT side uh, to make sure that they're staying up with the latest and greatest as well. I think it's interesting how, you know, we are even seeing that this same debate now start happening within operations amongst operational 
counterparts as well. So we're not just talking IT and operations, but we're talking, you know, the claims department and the PFS side versus revenue integrity versus coding and how the everybody is so busy in short staffed and trying to stay focused in their own silos that when they make a request, it's an instantaneous, like, I just need this. And it's behind the eight ball. So then it comes off as like, hey, that should be easy, or this should be. And normally, when we had those open, easier ways of two way communication, I think people had, you know, just took it as a grain of salt, or not, uh, didn't, didn't have such a visceral is not the right word, but that type of response, you know, like, oh, here we go, or oh, they don't understand, you know, I think people were more accommodating of it in the past as well. And I, I think we even run into that amongst our own team at times, too, as we're trying to get things done, or our own projects done. I think, I think two things, Mark, what you said about the plates in the air and the things that IT are doing in the background, you know, there's definitely, I think, an underappreciation from the operations side, because we don't really know or see any of that. We only know if you mess up, right? If something breaks, system goes down, then it's like, what happened? But beside that, we don't see any of it. So, you know, we don't really kind of have that appreciation. And I think I think there's also a third perspective here of uh, being what we are in the space, which is consultants, right? So we're to be advisors, we're there to help, we're there to uh, provide some expertise and, and some suggestions of value. And oftentimes we're brought in by operations or times we've been brought in by IT. And so we already wear the color of the team, if you will, or the side that we're representing. And I think, I think we're in a unique space there in, in, in two ways. I, you know, at one point had lofty ideas about how I was going to really assist a, a, an organization in mending this relationship. There was way too high of as, uh, aspirations on my part but I, uh, I do think there is some, some role to play there. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about today. But I also think that, you know, as consultants, we can be, you know, used as good cop, bad cop. You know, we, I can play a mean bad cop. I can take it, uh, you know, and then also maybe be extending the olive branch, uh, maybe, you know, helping with the shared languages. I don't know. I think there's a unique opportunity there that we try to um, adopt and, and foster that relationship between the both sides. But I think, I think both of us came up with some examples of what we had actual su suggestions about uh, things that we might try. You want to start? Sure. Um, yeah. So I did come up with about six or so examples that I've seen uh, mostly work, you know, in that partnership space. Um, and some of them are like, here is what, me as an IT person likes to have from my operations folks. So I'd be interested, you know, to get your take as well on whether, you know, I'm not going to do that or yes, that does make sense. Um, I think first and foremost, the thing, the, the projects that I've been on that have gone the smoothest, um, not necessarily the whole time, but kind of in the long run, um, is where operations get certified in their app. Uh, so one of my first um, RevCycle lead projects while I was at Epic, the PV billing office director went through the whole certification the same way the analyst did. Um, so it was great, you know, when we had meetings with her and she'd be able to say like, oh, no, we should, you know, do this or can't we do that in our follow up work profile or, you know, what if we use the charge router to do this? Um, just her having that IT background. Now, she wasn't an IT professional, uh, but, you know, she had been in the billing office for 15 plus years. Uh, but having that glimpse to the other side kind of really helped her out throughout the install. And then once we were live, I think. Can I just sorry, say. Yeah, I'll let you react. Yeah, because I, I agree. And, and I and I think that uh, I think what you're speaking to very much is there is a there's not there is a make-believe line between IT and ops, right? So, and sometimes that's forced by organizational structure and so forth, and we, and we get that. You have to have a department, you have to have a budget to run your program, et cetera. But there doesn't have to be such a, a hard line between the two, right? So I know for sure, when we were doing it at Cedars, I did get certified in my area to, to make sure that I understood how, I call it the ghost in the machine works, as well as not miss the opportunity 
to really make some significant changes as we went forward and be able to exactly like you say, speak the language to the team that was inside the system all the time doing what was what was needed. So I think that's a great suggestion. I also think I also tied that in my to my team uh, for bonuses. So on their annuals, there was an there was an additional bonus if they got certified. So you can kind of throw some meat in there that really makes it uh, nice, uh, you know, for the for the employees. I think from a you know from another operational perspective, because I'm not certified. I mean, I went through the training, I I got proficient in it, but I think that that also is key. Like for organizations, and we talked about community connects and and other smaller organizations who now are, you know purchasing on to other platforms like Epic and, and other and larger organizations platforms, it, I think them at least getting proficient so that they can ask the right questions or even do some of their own research on the user webs or uh, on, you know, those type of platforms is helpful. Um, it it, get, it does give a different perspective, but at the same time, you know, Putting on my uh, putting on an old operations hat, I have had IT come and say, "Hey, I want to know. Give us the problem and let us do our job and analyzing and come up with recommendations." Yes, you are certified, or yes, you are proficient and have done it, but let us do our portion of the work and then get in and give you opportunities to like select which which option you would like. And here's why you know we're making this recommendation because um, I think some. Sometimes in our operational minds, we do become, well, I'm certified as well. And I can, you know, I know what I want, just do what I want. And that might not be the best solution. So, you know, pausing and letting your IT counterparts still, even when, if you do go get certified or proficient, let them help you problem solve versus just you telling them what you want. I mean, and That's I think- it. It's the delivery of the yeah. question, right? I agree 100%. I like to give the suggestion um, but yeah, they are the IT professional. So they, you know, and I think a lot of, especially a lot of the folks, you know, who have gone on and got certified, even myself, like I'm not completely up to date with all what the latest things are from Epic. And there could be a new way to do it that I'm not aware of, but, you know, I'm going to put my suggestion out there for, you know, potentially how I did it in the past or how I think it worked best. Uh, and I'm, I love the feedback from IT of, you know, either, either, a, there's a new way we can do this, or B, you know, organizationally, we just kind of do it differently. And here's our process for it. You know, I don't want to create a stir, you know, just because I say we should do it one way when we've been marching to a different beat the whole time. Yeah, I, I think I mean, you, you touched on two things with that, Evan. One was um, something I want to sort of like close with uh, around creativity, but um, I think you mentioned too. There's there's a tone. I think we. I think where I see the relationships the most strain is when there's this sort of tone that you can read in an email. You can certainly hear it on the phone, and they, you know, people start to take positions and sides and so forth. And I think it comes down to communication. A lot of pieces of communication, not only speaking the language like we're talking about, getting certified, understanding what we're, you know, shared understanding. Um, but having a professional tone with each other and just sort of accepting that we're all professionals in the space, we all have limited resources, we all have different jobs, we're trying to achieve something as a group, we could we do it by ourselves if we could, but we can't. Um, and then I also think that in the areas, in, in the organizations where I've seen it the worst, the relationships sort of up to a toxic level, the communication is non-existent. And, and it also is happening at a super high level in the organization and leadership, and the teams are not able to sort of speak with each other very much. And if they do, then there's some repercussions. But one of the things I think in most successful uh, organizations is where the teams can call each other and ask what I call stupid questions, right? You don't want your boss to know that you don't know what a cost center is. You don't want, you know, on the, on the, on the IT side and on the ops side, you know, I get people uh, saying, what's a billing category? What, why is that? Why do they keep asking me for a billing category? So, the teams, if they're able to have that communication and say, you know, help me out, man, what is this? And and do that stuff without having directors and, and VPs copied on everything. I think that just helps a lot. And, and I think that the worry from leadership is that too much is happening or getting agreed to without being, uh, you know, properly vetted and so forth. And there have been examples of that. I definitely know why that that's a concern. But again, that communication and the trust stuff has to happen if it's going to be successful, I think. 
I, I agree. And I think at the end of the day, right, as a leaders, we want our team still to be working as teams and making those decisions and recommendations. And yes, we might want to review it and say, yes, we let us poke the holes from our experience as well for you prior to it moving forward fully. But we really do want the experts, the staff level experts may, being empowered to make those decisions and say, this is what's going to help my workflow. This is what's going to help me move forward. And then just having some oversight to poke those holes and ask different questions that they might not be thinking about. Yeah, I, that actually brought up another one of the recommendations that I had on my list was that operations should be involved in that testing process. I think definitely during the install and making sure that everything's there, but also once you're live. Um, and that, you know, isn't necessarily that I, or operations is, you know, doing the testing, but at least reviewing the output uh, so that we don't push something into production and, you know, then we're all surprised. You know, things still can sneak by. Uh, but I think when you have that opportunity to sit down and look at something together before it gets moved in, you know, maybe that op maybe that idea that I as operations gave you doesn't work out quite like I planned it to. We need to go back to the drawing board as well. So I, one other quick thing to add with that too, I am a huge fan of documentation and just documenting what is changing when it's changing and you know why it's changing uh, too often you know you'll someone will put in a ticket and that might work well for them but it messes something else up um, so really just documenting what is happening and why um, so that you have that as a as a reference oh my gosh oh my gosh yes and also the quality of the documentation one of the things I, I can't stand is when people just attach a bunch of email trails and, and then there's some middle part that got left out. So then you're copied on another one and you get this sort of book of email trails that you're supposed to put together. And I think if people are more intentional and thoughtful in what they're saying, you know, I don't need a, a full S bar every time something happens, but just as like, this is what happened. This is who was involved. This is what we're trying to do. This is the fix. This is the date it went in. You know, that kind of thing, I think it just is tremendous. And it helps everybody have a reference point. Uh, you know, whenever you're, when we developed crew, it, one of the main purposes was because every issues were being managed in uh, email. And the first call that we had, uh, it was just a call because we had multiple teams and involved PFS, Rev Integrity, Willow, pharmacy people. There were 27 people on the call when we called in. I was like, holy smokes, what is, you know, we've hit, we've hit a nerve here. And the reason they did it is so that, you know, one of the promises that we had is that we would track things by module over time and keep these notes and minutes and everything else. And, and things would issue tickets and they were referenced in the minutes. And we, we no longer had to manage issues by email. I think it's huge. And, and like you're saying, just making sure that you're capturing what, why, and when is, is a huge benefit to everyone. And I think that's even more stressed right now. I know we mentioned earlier that there's staffing shortages. I think we see that IT ops. Um, there's always someone that was on a ticket that's gone. And you're like, who do I ask about this information? Um, something that I found, though, to be helpful is, I mean, the accountability piece in the documentation. I think a lot of times it gets pushed to IT because we're in the computers all the time. But I do think there is a level of accountability that ops needs to have as well to say, hey, I put in this ticket. I requested it. I know like there's oftentimes like a ticketing system where we we like to put all that information on what the change is, who requested it, why it's going live. Um, but it's not IT oftentimes making those requests too. So there needs to be a level of accountability to say, hey, you put this request in, uh, make sure that you're the long-term owner of this success as well. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I know from my past experience on the ops side, we always had a SharePoint side for, for those. So optimization request, we outlined what's a break fix, what's standard routine maintenance, and then what is optimization. And anything optimization went into a team SharePoint site where the request started there and it was vetted and then determined what's the prioritization, what is it, and then scored, just like when you're making you know, a deployment, your initial deployment reasons and doing the scoring of what's going to go first and what's not and doing the triage. That's how we did um our optimization items and then break fix and compliance and routine maintenance that just, those were just regular tickets and those, and, you know, they were tracked um, with the notes in the IT system, but 
at the same time, if it tied over to a larger decision because it was such a big break fix, it then got copied over to kind of that governance component or SharePoint site where everything was living in, the, in that regard. So I think I think you guys all make a great point. And actually, in, in my experience, it's always been operations who did the SharePoint documentation portion. And it was IT who came in and put in the technical notes and technical know-how behind the scenes. Um, and then we could reference those old tickets because, you know, all of us, uh, all organizations eventually change the ticketing system too, and you lose what was historically there. So how, uh, so it has to live in the secondary space, not just in those ticketing platforms. Yeah, I think governance in general was another, just one of my recommendations that, you know, I think just about every organization that I worked with has had some type of governance. I think taking a look at your governance process uh, and beefing that up as much as possible um, so that you can do all these things that, you know, we're talking about here. You know, I am a fan of the regular, you know, whether it's weekly or biweekly meetings uh, to talk through things and what is the priority and who's working on what and what are the roadblocks. Um, I also, you know, former teacher like like rubrics. Um, so, you know, just because Gretchen put in a ticket and she is the founding partner that, you know, isn't necessarily our top priority. Um, let's run it through the Rubik process and see, you know, what are, what gives us the biggest bang for our buck and, you know, really prioritize that way. Oh, I, I, I know that uh, I have no doubt that you will argue any point with me, Mark. No doubt. <laughs> I, I I've come to very much appreciate that. But with this whole, this you know, it was the genesis of the whole double podcast was when you rolled your eyes on screen one day at something I said. I'm like, what did I just say? It was very enlightening. It was very enlightening. I very much. It's also why I call Mark the professor. Um, the one I, one suggestion I had too because I was trying to think of it from a leadership perspective. And Daniel, you made me remember it when you're talking about the staffing shortages and the challenges and talent. And so even if you're, let's say you've got an IT person coming in and they're certified and A to Z and everything possible, they still don't know how that organization itself works. To your point, uh, Mark, earlier, you can build the beast differently and all that kind of stuff and it takes time. But if you're losing people in a regular amount and frequency, so on the ops side or the IT side, there's an invaluable conversation and an exit interview for staff that was unanticipated that they were gonna be leaving. And now they're a hotter commodity than they ever were before, right? So now it's just all, and we're remote. So you've got, you know, it's, it's the life everybody's living in in every industry. But I think that there probably are some honest, hard truths that are gonna come out in those exit interviews about what has led to their decision to leave. And I think it's really valuable. I don't think people do it enough um, and I, I just have sort of that suggestion just to get that honest feedback, just to see if how much of a role the the relationships between the departments is playing in sometimes people's decision to stay or, or leave a job. And where and what's their voice at it, right? Like I think that's the other thing. I mean, I can remember doing an exit interview with a with a um, lead and and just asking like, hey, you were you were here three months. What's going on? You know, and it really came down to kind of that relate exactly that relationship not only with their internal team but also with IT and and being saying like hey you guys hired me because I know this space really well it's a it's a lacking space that the organization had but anytime I said anything it was always you don't know our organization stop making recommendations for changes and yet the recommendations were actually implementing epic standard build so and that, and that kind of in, in that room, in that world. And I think that sometimes a struggle too, is how do you get your voice across, but not be, but, you know, not be forcing change, but kind of making recommendations on a slower pattern and remembering not to always reference where did you come from or how did you do these things? And it, it's all about, it, it really comes down to that communication of how we, mm-hmm. how we partner in. Mm-hmm. Mark, you said something about testing and I kind of wanted like, you know, like just not at least reviewing the results. I, you know, I think it, yes, in many cases that is, you know, the case, what, it, what were the test results? But I think 
even if an organization's operational team is going to just review results, they need to be part of building that testing script, right? Because they're going to know for those certain payers what needs to flip, where and when and how, and IT's not. They're going to load it and say, hey, the system's working as we created it. So if if you're, if these operational team members aren't going to be doing the testing side by side with IT, they really do have to sit down and help write those test scripts. Because if we just leave it to our IT counterparts, we're just basically saying, hey, the system's supposed to work as it is. And when it doesn't come, actually, that's our own operational fault for not saying, hey, I need you to test this and this, and this is how it should. If you do this, this is how it should result out. If you do this and it doesn't result out that way, then let me know so we can go figure out how do we rebuild or repartner that together. Um, and I think that changes the dynamics of the conversation too. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Gretchen. I was going to say that testing is also an opportunity for training. Uh, one of the things that I, I love doing, is especially when, you know, maybe people are still going live, obviously, but also when you're doing conversions from one, you're going into a new system, you're converting to Epic, is having some of those end users be a part of the testing process. It's how we taught all of charge router, charge entry uh, work to a whole team of people was let them be a part of the testing. So they're doing the work to get the things built and so forth, uh, setting up charges for the testing. But they're also learning how to post charges, which is what they needed to learn. So there are some things there having users involved in that process that I think really benefits beyond just the testing. I think that goes back to the what we talked about before too, with the certification or proficiency in the app uh, and just kind of understanding how the system works in general. So, you know, if we say, oh, we need to flip it to this rev code, you know, for these 10 payers, great. I'll show you an example of one or two of those and kind of how the setup is in the background. But as IT, it doesn't necessarily make sense to, you know, run that test for all 10 when it's the same setup. Um, so I think there's kind of a give and take there uh, between IT and operations to know, like, you should definitely be showing operations how what the setup is and how it will work. And here's how it works on, you know, a few examples. But I'm not going to run through all of your examples just to show you that it worked in this specific instance. Yeah, I think that what ops brings often in that scenario is there, there are a lot of workflows that are labeled and very intentional. And so what we always like to say, oh, put this payer on it, now flip it back, now turn it to this payer, now flip it back to the other payer. Now they're inpatient, then they're outpatient, but inpatient again. And, and oh, they've discharged, but they didn't meet criteria. So make it a, you know, part B only inpatient. And, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, not just that I get this charge through to this cost center, right? I got to back it up. I got to you know, reverse it. You got so many changes that make no sense whatsoever and happen all the time. And that's the part where ops should be providing sort of these wacko scenarios that we know happen, you know? Yeah. We always <laughs> joke, you know, it, it happens once a year, but that once a year is going to happen the day of go live. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. I didn't know that one. Um, so I was also thinking in the, you know, wanting to give concrete examples, like I think we've talked about here and uh, also think about a little bit like, you know, we see it so often. And so it's, there's some pieces around this that are kind of obvious. And I think that some of the suggestions that we've made are things that um, maybe people could focus on employing a little bit more. But I also was trying to think about what is actually causing so much of the angst and the, and the, and the, the sort of like, I want to say anger, but it's also frustration. And I, and you know, besides from people making decisions inappropriately or budgeting projects without talking to so-and-so and the, you know, the hierarchy and the power stuff and all that, I think what's happening is, and I think what is most frustrating for staff is the loss of the opportunity for creativity. So for me, when we went up with Epic, when I learned Epic, I was, I was so excited. It was one of the, the happiest times of my professional life. And, and really digging in, meeting the people, learning how it worked, figuring stuff out and was, was so great. And I think that's what the teams are mostly frustrated about. They want to be respected, but what does that actually mean? Well, that means we have a problem. We have this new thing. It's the new service line and they don't do things normally. And it's really weird. And they have multiple visits that have to come together. I mean, you think of the worst scenarios and the payer is this. And what happens is people are thinking of solutions in their own silos and they're not coming together and saying, hey, this is amazing. How could we do this? What, what tricks do you have up your sleeve that we can make this happen with? And, and that collaboration. And I think that's probably 
what I think is frustrating is the hardest part for everybody is that lost opportunity for the creativity. So like when you talked about Evan, uh, I, you know, it wants to be asked, here's our problem. How do you suggest we fix it? Well, I think what happens is ops wants to be a part of that conversation together as well. And, and, and I think what's happening right now, like I said, is it's just that, that synergy, if you will, is not happening. And that's what people are most upset about because that's the most fun. Before we go any further, we're going to have to pause for a quick break. Claim Capital is a team of ex-EPIC staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. And we're back. All right, so great points, Gretchen. Um, Mark, I'm sure you have some additional solutions from an IT perspective <laughs> that you would like to pitch out there for operations and everybody to consider. And Daniel, don't forget to jump in. I know we're all talking-talking. Yeah, I think so... As uh, Daniel mentioned in the last episode, I spent you know just shy of nine years at Epic on the implementation side. So a lot of my feedback comes you know from that implementation process. But you know did have the opportunity to work with a, a number of clients actually like in the post live space, which I personally find more fun because now we're you know dealing with those real issues like Gretchen brought up and not the thing that happens once a year that you know operations might just write off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, two of the two of my recommendations around that. Um, first, I like to give operations the self-service tools that they can use. You know, whether that's reports through Reporting Workbench, Slicer, Dicer, you know, even the dashboard drill downs. Like spending the time to kind of show really what those are, so that they can use them and dig in and you know, find potentially more things that IT needs to fix, but at least it's there and they're aware of it. Um, also along that kind of self-service portion, uh, giving operations access to add users, add, you know, people to the work queues. Uh, I like hated those tickets at Live where, you know, we need to add Sally to this work queue and add Frank to this work queue. Like, let's give operations that, you know, because Frank's going to go on vacation or Sally's going to go on vacation. We're going to need, you know, Joe to cover something. Instead of putting a ticket in, just have operations be able to go in and do it. Uh, it saves IT time and it saves operations time. I think one of the points to that, though, is to then operations making sure that they're owning, updating those work queues access as well. So when people or users leave, what's the interface between IT security and operations to either remove people and who's going to be that ownership of that? Because that is one of the report, you know, metrics now with Honor Roll and STARS is, uh, you know, active users, non-active users, responsible yeah. groups, things of that nature. So but operations, if they knew that going in, I mean, I can remember, hey, Evan, here's a list of people. Are they still employed? No, they're not. Why? You can see they don't have access. Why are they still on a work queue? Oh, well, nobody told us to remove them. Nobody told me I needed to remove them. You know, just defining who owns what and when when does that occur and what, and what yep. team is responsible for that as well. Great point. And I, I love hosting day in the life sessions to cover those types of topics, like getting operational folks ready for what life looks like, things like updating work queues, how to write reports. Some of those things that we know are super easy tickets or are really common issues that come up, uh, just training them like, hey, this is how you can do this. And it's always so fun when you see the eyes like open up and like, oh, I can do this. Like this is something that I have either the security to do or that I'm empowered to go do. I I almost wish that our implementations like sort of uh, fed, fed some of those suggestions and it was like a natural thing to bring them up. So often it's just like, a, it's a good consultant or it's a good implementer who has to take that initiative to say, let's let's cover these topics. And um, it's really unfortunate because it gets missed. I mean, we see it all the time. It gets missed everywhere. 
or yeah. folks aren't doing those really easy steps because it's not baked into the normal processes. So true. Absolutely. Or even when people are doing assessments, we see that too, right? Like here's an assessment, but they forget to leave out like, hey, this person could use some mentorship or some of this, right? Because they're just focused on that component of the process. But you do identify other things where, you know, it might be valuable and it's just a speaking note. It doesn't have to be in a report. It doesn't have to be that thing, but just taking that extra time is key. Yeah. And, and maybe, then I think my, sorry, go ahead, Daniel. I was just going to say, maybe flipping the script from like the IT perspective, Mark, on your end, Gretchen, I have a question for you. When somebody's like a new operational person, just like brand new to the organization, what steps do you do like to prep them to work with IT? Are there any like, is there like a sit down where you're like, hey, this is how the IT, IT works or you're kind of walking them through, like how do you prep them to have that good relationship? Wow, that's such a great question, Daniel. Um, typically, I you know I introduce them and start to have them sort of definitely on the op side sit through different areas and watch different workflows and processes, but then definitely to engage with uh, the IT team and then sort of um, we immediately put them into sort of from a rev integrity operations perspective we put them into a crew, so crew is where the it's led by rev integrity but it incorporates any sort of epic module functionality and non-epic and the clinical resources so if you're doing pharmacy you've got willow you've got hb you've got rev integrity charge master compliance all this stuff together and that's where we found the creation of that process to be a way for them a bridge to to come into the system to understand the operation functionality um but i think that you've hit on a really good point which is having some of that standard playbook kind of thing that we've been talking about lately to them, for them to be able to immediately get into the system on their own and run certain types of reports and find the things that they may be looking for that relates to their job. I think that's actually a big open opportunity in many ways, actually. I think I have seen some organizations that do that well um, and others where, you know, it's a bit of a mystery. I mean, it's one of the things that we get into an engagement with a client that I'm always fascinated by um, is that we're there to, uh, with some objectives, right, that the client has laid out. But at the same time, there's this huge learning part of it that, that's happening. Like Mark, um, in one of the engagements we've been working on, we have something called office hours. And we get together for a couple of hours a week, a couple times a week with the team. These are, time, these are sort of big work sessions. And I think what happens in those, the most useful piece of it, we're obviously moving things forward and, you know, objectives but um, is when the team is able to ask Mark, can you show me this? Can you show me that? I mean, this takes more and more time and it just shows you there's a dearth of information available to them when they come into these operational roles. I think that's a really good point and a really good area to focus on. Agreed. Did you have another one, Mark, for us? I do, yeah. I guess my, my final recommendation that I have on my list, I'm sure there's plenty of other ones out there that I didn't, didn't think of, but we'd love to hear them from other groups. Um, I think operations should always be involved in new feature review. And while that sounds obvious, um, I think that a lot of times the you know host system or the host you know EHR system says, oh, this doesn't apply to you, or this doesn't apply to your organization. Um, I don't think you can necessarily filter those out. Uh, my you know big example here is estimates. You know, when estimates first started coming out. Epic wasn't great at that. <laughs> and a lot of organizations did not use Epic for estimates. Um, Epic has gotten way, way better with them. And, you know, it's probably one of the top, you know, estimate groups out there now. Um, but a lot of places don't use them and use this other vendor when they could probably be getting more functionality from their EHR, but it's being filtered out because they don't use them currently. So I think really just looking at those and seeing what features you can turn in, turn on in your you know host system, uh, and get rid of some of those third parties that you then don't need to manage. Yeah, and how do you make it that integrated experience for the patient? Right, like at the yeah. end of the day. I have a funny funny story on that. I once turned on estimates and uh, I was live on the website and we hadn't really plugged operations and I got a call at midnight saying turn it off now. It needs to be off. Uh, just because it was one of those things that uh, they weren't plugged in, they weren't they weren't aware of those some, some of the functionality and just the workflow, and um, that burned us as like an IT group when we were working on that. Um, just lesson learned uh, on some of that new functionality. 
I think it's cross coverage too, right? Like I, I've seen people, PB leadership say, yep, absolutely turn it on. We want it. We want to do this. And then they forgot like, oh, wait, I'm, it's going to pull in HB. It's going to do these components. And HB is like, shut it off, shut it off. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so, you know, and I, and I think that even that, like being able to go in and say, hey, we don't employ at this hospital, but we do employ at this hospital. So making sure everything's tied to be able to put an alert that says, hey, you're not going to, you know, operations know some of that. IT might just be like, hey, we see the docs regardless because they're both on the platform and system and we're interfacing a file over, but we're not going to give an estimate for that, you know, non-employed provider or whatnot as well. So yeah. I, just those those decisions, yeah. I think absolutely are spot on. The other thing too that uh, Daniel, you made me think of is there's an opportunity, there's a window when you get a new person into your organization, whether it's on the upside or IT, especially if they've come from somewhere else, is don't miss the opportunities to find out other ways of doing something. Instead of being so uh, focused on this is the way we do it here, this is a great opportunity to have new information come into the organization. And they're like, no, no, you do, do it this way. It's so much easier. And, but you've been doing this for like six years, one way. And then, so there's a great opportunity when new people come in to, uh, you know, find out new things. And I think that's a great way that makes them feel, you know, very val valued as well. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that too, Gretchen. I mean, I had a personal experience when at an organization where I came in and they had deployed one HAR for both emergency psychiatric emergency visits and inpatient emergency services. And it made sense from a clinical operations perspective, right? Continuity of care and everything. But from the regulations in that state for billing, it was a nightmare and you couldn't split it and you had denials all over the account and being able to do coverage days and everything. So being able to say, hey, you can have continuity care, but we're going to create a related HAR once they discharge out of the emergency department and go inpatient. Here's what it will look like. It'll still be tied. It was a newfound concept. And, you know, nobody believed me like it was possible. And then it, it took eight months and finally two Epic developers and TS saying, no, this is our recommendation. And here's why. I mean, and, and just being able to, for people to trust like, hey, they were, you know, people come into your organization with experiences and backgrounds and, and at least listen to them and then vet it. Don't, you know, vet it up front because it could have saved, you oh, know, wow. two years worth of incorrect billing and extra denials and extra work for everybody on all, on all areas. Because even IT was constantly having to run tickets and fix things and we were just inundating them. So. Yeah. All right, guys, final thoughts before we take our last break. Ops rules. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think like any relationship, it takes work. Um, and as Gretchen alluded to, just being professional, you know, remembering that everyone's there to serve the same end goal um, and just staying grounded with that. I'm, I'm sitting here listening and my biases are sort of like creeping out or leaking out. I'm like, I, I need to rein that in. And also like just being aware of that uh, is, is always helpful. All right, well, let's take our last quick break and then we'll be coming right back. On our next episode, we have Vine Medical, who serves a growing base of more than 800 active hospital and health system clients nationwide. Best practices are hardwired through their technology solutions proven to help hospitals achieve sustainable top performance. Well-published results include improving financial performance, physician and staff alignment, the patient experience, compliance, and patient quality and safety. Learn more at vinemedical.com. That's V-Y-N-E medical.com. And we're back. It's now time for the Wilshire Lab. In each episode, we will explore questions from by you, the listeners. This week, we have two questions submitted from some listeners. All right. So Mark, Gretchen, question for you all. What recommendation do you have for the billing process for device-dependent procedures when there truly isn't a device used? And our listener was kind enough to share some examples as a case, as a case example. So the provider performed a sling operation uh, to treat a stress in inconvenience using a facial or synthetic graft, which 
CPT 57288 for those out there with their CPT books. Uh, they shared that the provider took the tissue graft from the patient to be used as an in, in, implant uh, sling. Okay, so Gretchen, we really would love your opinion on this. However, I did do some pre-research for us. So thank you. Uh, I reached out to, I was able to reach out to the listener because they're actually one of our clients that was submitting the question to us. And what we found out was the physician actually did take patient tissue to create the sling. So in reviewing that, our recommend there are some device codes associated to that actual procedure, and we use um, a, a, most organizations will use a, some form of a knowledge-based software or b to be able to look up device related. So there are several C codes. Um, there's C1762, which is um, tissue from a human. Um, there is tissue from non-human, which is C7. Um, C1763, and then there is repair device um, of a sling graph or an awesome mesh. So there are four opportunities here, but based off of what was documented, I mean, in my revenue integrity opinion, non-coder, you are the coder on the call. <laughs> I, and with the limited information, I'm probably gonna go with the human tissue and that, and that being C1762. Um, with the limited knowledge that the provide they were able to provide without doing a documentation review, of course. That's exactly what I was going to say, Evan. Exactly verbatim. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I think I think that the hard question too is what do how do I price it? If you don't have it already set up and you and you you took the tissue and it was part of the procedure where you took the tissue, you're going to have a pricing issue, right? In those situations, I think you have a couple of options. One, if it's a one off. Do something that's mindful and, and intentional, but don't get so deep that you're gonna, you know, lose your lose your mind. Um, I think that if you can come up with a reasonable cost, if it took a longer period of OR time in order to harvest the the, the tissue or something like that, or you can just stick a dollar on it and just get the edit resolved. Um, if if you're not comfortable, you know, it also depends on the payer, you know, lots of different things. But if it is going to become a norm, and this is going to be a new practice that is going to be implemented at your facility, your system, then you do need to think deeper and longer about it um, and develop something that you feel is, is reproducible. Yeah. And I think, it, and I think that's where we actually like uh, pause and actually go right to the physicians too, in that yeah. practice group, right. And say, Hey, yeah. is this going to become something new? How are we going to do this? What's going to go forward? Is this the new standard? So yeah. Yep. All right, I think we have time for one more quick question before we need to wrap it up for the day. All right, so last question here, second and last question of the day is about monkeypox. Mark, I think this question came from one of your clients. Yeah, we were recently asked, you know, what, what, is, what is the lab code we should be using for monkeypox or what should we be charging for the vaccine or the administration? Uh, just since, you know, it kind of came about so quickly um you know and there wasn't a lot of documentation out there at the time uh it's something that we you know kind of started to research into so i guess what are some of the other clients doing for you know uh, the procedures around monkeypox well i want to plug my blog first and foremost so i just <laughs> wrote about monkeypox and um that so go ahead and check out the wilshire um website to for our blogs and we did address monkeypox but um, the AMA and CMS has come out very clearly and said, hey, here are the two new vaccine uh, codes, one for the full um, dose, which includes smallpox and monkey monkeypox, and then one that is um, more of a smallpox vaccine. Um, so those two codes are part of that blog. Um, and from there, they also did come out, um, Medicare, and say, we will accept it with a penny the vaccine or with a zero, we would prefer a zero just like they did with the COVID vaccines. Um, and then lastly, with that, um, you should be using standard administration um, code. So um, just standard vaccine administration, they did not create anything special for monkeypox um, in that regards um, for, the, for that portion of it. And then there is one lab test out there, which is um, 87593 um, for um, doing the actual uh, laboratory diagnostic. I, the thing I really like about the questions is that the immediate answer is, I don't know. Who, who, 
nobody knows. They're just new. Like televisits that came out with health and with, with COVID. And we're all like, we're spending a year on, on calls with CMS, uh, you know, policymakers, people you normally never get access to going, what do we do in the clinic? And the, the doctor's here and the patient's at home. Now the doctor's at home and the patient's at home. And everybody's like dealing with stuff we don't know. Mon Monkeypox comes right out of the blue. We're like, I don't know. But it's kind of where Rev Integrity lives. And it's like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And you leverage your internal resources, external resources, your professional groups. Um, I'll actually be at the NHRI conference in, in a few weeks. Uh, you kind of pull on your, your associates in different areas and different professional societies. And, and then you sort of are the one that's going to try to advise the build as well as the billing and, and all those parts. But it's usually the fun part, too. I mean, it can, it can drive you a little nuts. But um, it but it is it is the fun part too. All right, I think we're at time, so we're gonna wrap things up, up here. Thanks, Grant. thanks, Mark, for joining us. And I think you probably said this in the last episode, but is there a best way for our our listeners to reach out to you? Probably through LinkedIn, or you can find our bios on the uh, Wilshire Group website. Yep, or email g .case at the wilshiregroup.net. One of the longest emails you'll ever. Uh, but it reaches us. <laughs> well, Daniel, Mark, and Gretchen, I think this topic is hot and it would be great to bring you guys back in a few months to um, continue the great debates and seeing um, where we go from there. So maybe the SmackDown can become a reoccurring topic um, every <laughs> once in a while. Um, so for right now, though, that's it for us today. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or find us on Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be found at Daniel underscore TWG. The Wilshire Group is at TWG Health. For us on Facebook at The Wilshire Group or on our Instagram at Wilshire IT RevCast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out on YouTube at The Wilshire IT RevCast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on a topic, email us at The Wilshire Podcast at The Wilshire Group.net. The best way for you to support this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.